Hi and welcome to the Making the Media podcast. Craig Wilson here and thanks again for joining me. Or if you're a first time listener, where have you been? We've covered lots of different subjects in the season so far and this episode is no different. Having talked about the pandemic, planning the newsroom of the future, mobile journalism, multi-platform delivery, how to attract new audiences and cloud workflows, this time we look at how artificial intelligence or AI may shape the future of news gathering and consumption. For some, it looks like the rise of the machines as companies seek efficiencies and replacing humans with servers. While for others, AI is a costly investment, which risks widening the digital divide between the big players and the smaller stations. Lots to unpack here, so let's dive right in. To talk about all things AI, I spoke to Felix Simon. Felix is a doctoral student at the Oxford Internet Institute and a Night News Innovation Fellow at Columbia University's Tau Centre for Digital Journalism. He also works as a research assistant at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism and regularly writes and comments on technology. His work at Oxford at the moment currently focuses on the implications of AI in journalism and the news business, so he's the right guy to talk to. Now, I began by asking him what the areas were of focus for the industry right now in the use of AI. I think we can think of this in, in um, basically two settings, and, and one is news production, one is news distribution. And in the context of news production, it's really uh, what we've seen a lot is that um, News organizations use, for instance, machine learning to go through very big data sets to filter out um, the information that they then want to turn into news somehow. So if you if you think of um, the Panama Papers or, or the Paradise Papers, these big um, international investigations, part of what they did was actually using machine learning um, to sift through those massive pile of documents, of financial documents, financial data, um, to identify um, potential stories and potential um, topics of interest. And that's, that's, for instance, that's one use case from the production side. But we also increasingly see things like the BBC, for instance, where they use uh, machine learning and natural language processing, uh, which are both sort of um, AI applications to change story formats. So say if you've written something as a text for the BBC website and you then want to easily move that into um, an Instagram format, for instance, or into a social media post of some other kind, um, then there are currently um, AI applications in development at the BBC News Labs, um, which can, can help journalists to do that quicker. So that's sort of, that's the, the production side. And then of course there's distribution. And uh, I think in a distribution context, AI basically is mostly, it's a continuation and a perfection of tools and, and, and techniques that have existed for quite a while. So um, personalized news, that's, that's nothing new really, that already exists. But machine learning, for instance, can, can allow you to, to make that better, to improve it. It's very labor intensive, it's quite costly. It's something where you need a high degree of very special, uh, specialized knowledge, which doesn't sort of easily exist out in the open. Um, so it actually makes sense for, for organizations to, to group together and to try to explore this together because um, that's, in some ways, the only way for them to, to actually make headway in this space, which is heavily dominated by big technology corporations, which of course have different resources than your average, um, even international news organization. So um, yes, I, I, would, I would assume that we will see at least um, in the next couple of years, more collaboration between different news organizations. And I think it actually makes sense for them to um, explore this together because it's so uncertain and it's not quite clear yet 
uh, what the potential benefits of this technology for them are and um, to, to find out together, um, especially in times when, again, um, financial pressure is so high is, is a logical and, and sensible step. You, know, you said something earlier on, Felix, that I wanted to pick up on, that you mentioned that um, AI in this sense is actually quite labor intensive. I think a lot of people would think of AI and think, well, it's just a bunch of machines. So, so what do you mean by that in terms of it being labor intensive? Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, it's the funny thing with AI in many ways, because uh, the public imaginary around this is very much still shaped by, by Hollywood in many ways. It's, it's, it's Terminators, it's sentient machines who um, then do things for us. It's, it's Siri to some extent, or Alexa, these, these products, which seem to be um, sentient machines who can talk back to us. Um, which is kind of the imaginary eye, and opposed to that is is um, what most computer scientists or experts call real AI, which is sort of a much more mundane um, technology in, in in use. And and basically, what I mean here is that um, what comes as a package with this imaginary eye, with the Hollywood AI, is sort of oh yeah, the machine will do everything for us, and I don't have to do anything. And in practice. Um, all these AI applications, they, they need a lot of data, they need a lot of um, training data sets. Um, they are quite labor intensive because you need these specialized workers, you need computer scientists, you need data analysts. You can write the code, work with the code, you can make sense of the results. Um, and so this old story of oh, AI will easily replace lots of people. Um, that might be true to some extent because it might, might be replacing certain groups of people in, in the workforce, but um, broadly, you also need very highly skilled and trained people to um, keep it running, to set it up in the first place. And that's, of course, true if we think of AI in the news context as well. Um, you, you actually you need specialists to, to um, deploy this technology. And so this old story of, oh, the robots are going to, to, to come and take care of our jobs. I think that's um, it's, it's a bit apocalyptic in many ways, not really what we see so far in, in um, well, if we look into the industries. So is it the case that, that what you're talking about here is that what you need to actually sort of interrogate and understand the information is something that's highly specialized. It's not something that is sort of available as a sort of commercial off-the-shelf package that you can go out and buy. This is something that still requires a huge amount of development. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally correct. So uh, there are some off-the-shelf packages and, and off-the-shelf code, which you can, sometimes it's open source, sometimes you have to buy um, especially the big technology companies, they have platforms which are um, providing AI services um, to some degree. Um, but that's for, so for, for very broad general use. So if you think of something like machine translation, that's something you can, can buy off the shelf that exists. If you look to Google, if you look to DeepL, um, or automatic transcription, where you just send your, your audio file to, to a service and they do it for you th thanks to, to some tool which has probably machine learning and natural language processing in the back. And that's something you can already buy and then just simply plug in. But depending on what you want to do with, uh, to do with the technology, depending on um, what your specific interests are as an organization or even an individual journalist, um, for that you need people to, to come think about, okay, what, what is the problem? What do we want to do with it? And then try to, to develop a solution. And that's, that's usually where sort of the work comes in and where you, you need specialized people who can, can do this because it's not something that your sort of average programmer could do. So obviously, the you know, broadcast and digital industry has 
a huge range of different outlets now from, you know, large news organizations, multinational news organizations, all the way down to, you know, if you think of regional stations in the US, for example, or local stations in the US. So is there a divide between those types of organization of their level of interest in, in AI? Unfortunately, yes. And um, I think, again, we have to, to give a two-sided answer. So for one, I think the interest is is sort of uniform across the board. So every news organization I know of, um, to some extent, has an interest in AI. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool, this is this new technology um, that could potentially do magical things for us. So, um, of course, there's, and also because there's this big hype. Um, so lots of organizations have this interest. But when it comes to, to being actually able to do something with it or to invest in it, um, to think around with it, that's where we see a big device opening up. And that's mainly, again, because it's, it's cost intensive. You need um, lots of data, you need computing power, you need specialized um, people who can, can work with it and uh, implement it. And that's, as many things, unfortunately, usually clustered at the top. So you have a, a set of very well-endowed big news organizations who can afford this, um, have the data uh, from their own websites or from their own um, services that they offer, uh, who have the computing power and they can, they can afford and they, they have the, the resources to, to experiment with AI in many ways. Whereas if you look at um, many local newspapers, they are already under, under lots of financial strain, um, depending on where they operate. And for them, it's, it's usually, unfortunately, not, not, not an option um, to even think about because they have so many other problems and so many other holes to plug in their daily operations. But thinking about something that's so futuristic in many ways uh, as AI is just not on the cards for them. When it comes to the sort of production um, uh, side of things, um, do you think that's something that people are looking at it as an efficiency play in, in some respects, that they see a way of taking content for one platform and repurposing it? Because I think something else that's changed in recent years is maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a view that you could produce once and then just distribute that content everywhere. But in reality, what people want now is a different experience on different platforms. So on the production side, is that where the, the area of focus is? Yeah, I, th I think that's an, that's an excellent point. Um, so, so basically, AI, as, we, as any other technology, is basically, um, for many people, about efficiency and increasing efficiency. So you have a, a certain task and uh, technology is brought in to, to make it more efficient. But is basically what happened with writing when the type typewriter came around. Well, it's it's just quicker and it allows you to to um, write certain things quicker in the sort of formalized um, pattern. Same story with computers, the internet. Um, so I think one one general thing we can say for AI in in the news and why executives but also journalists um, are interested in it to some extent is because it promises to to make certain tasks more efficient. If I can say take my take this interview, um, take the transcript in English, and then plug it into um, an automated AI translation tool, and it gives you the result in German or Russian um, a couple of seconds later. Of course, that's going to save you a lot of time, even if you then still have to go through to to check for basic errors or something the AI has gotten wrong. But it still saves you say an hour, um, and. That's so. That's that's definitely one of the the sort of big um, overarching topics, and more specifically to your point about um, produce once and then distribute. I think that's that's again that's a promise of AI. Where uh, when it comes to story formats, it seems that 
potentially it's, it's already happening now to some extent and i think we will see more of that in, in the next couple of years um, it, it promises that you can have a certain piece of content you can not just easily distribute it to many people but you can distribute it to many people in a more targeted and personalized um, fashion do you think that also on the on the other side of that though is there a risk about um plurality of news and and also about I think Twitter's a good example of this where potentially you end up in an echo chamber where all you hear is the things that you that you want to hear um, as well. Is that something that AI can sort of factor in that it's not purely about what your interests are? You need to actually get some other information from from other sources as well. Yeah, um, I think let me let me dispel one myth first. I think echo chamber is sort of something um, that, again, the public imagination is is presented as this, this big scary threat to to democracy in, in our information environments and actually uh, from the research side of things we find very little evidence for that and, and in many cases the sort of little echo chambers we have that's usually to people self-selecting and not so much algorithms or technology driving them into these spheres where they only sort of hear their own um, stories and, and what they care about but of course it's it's something that people are concerned about in the context of AI and the good news is you can, you can these the systems they are design choices so uh the designers the people who make them they they can um, intentionally create it one way or another and they can think about these problems in advance and they should actually think about them in the beginning before they even start um rolling it out and, and you can with say with any recommendation tool you can you can think about this in in, the, in advance and say okay actually instead of only giving Craig Wilson or Felix Simon, um, the kind of news they, they're interested in, they care about, we also should occasionally um, offer them something or put something their way uh, through this tool, which is probably not what they want, but what they need from sort of, um, if, you, if you look at it sort of from, from a higher, um, higher peak and a higher vantage point. And that's, that's something, it, it is a concern with AI. It's, it, I think it's a justified concern. There's also something um, one can work against and something that can be considered at the design stage um, of this technology. Going back to talk a little bit about the, the, the production side of things, um, Felix, that efficiency play that we, we, we talked about earlier on, um, I think that's something that I think a lot of news organizations want to take advantage of, regardless of their of their kind of size. Um, so, for example, you know, at Avid, we have you know integration with um, Microsoft Azure for some of our AI services. We also have phonetic indexing, so you can search on on audio. Are these the kind of practical things that relatively small organizations are looking to take advantage of at the moment? Things that already exist and don't really require that additional investment. Yes, yeah, so that would be hard. Yes, from from my side and from what I've, I've learned through my own research, um, if if there's a tool um, for say a very specified task uh, that you can easily buy off the shelf and, and apply, and if it's if it's reasonable from from a cost perspective, you can trust it from uh, well, say privacy considerations from that point of view. Um, then there's definitely a lot of interest from many news organisations. Uh, just because it means you don't have to hire your own team of, of um, developers. You don't have to hire a team of, of, of people who will try to build this um, on their own and potentially give them a lot of money and they work on it for six months and in the end, in the end it doesn't end up working. Um, so of course there's this risk involved and if there's um, opposed to that a product which you only have to implement, you probably need someone coming in for, for a couple of weeks and um, help your staff and your organization to, to, to make it work. 
then of course that's that's to some extent the more attractive um, opportunity and the more attractive option. Um, of course, there's always there's always concern, especially in in, in the news where. Um, a lot of emphasis is placed on autonomy and not just autonomy from, from political forces, but also autonomy from, from economic forces. Um, that with a tool that you have not developed in-house, which comes from someone else, um, basically a black box, which you don't really understand um, how it's working, how, it, especially in the case of AI, how it's arriving at decisions, um, it ultimately arrives at. This is sort of this, this opaque thing which you don't really understand and which potentially has ethical problems baked in. Bias, for instance, is always a massive concern in AI and rightly so. Um, that there might be data violations, security issues, all these things. Um, what happens to, say, my own data? Is it safe? Um, will it be protected? I think these, these are legitimate concerns news organizations have when they rely on proprietary products. And of course, that is also the case when it comes to, to AI tools. So of course there's this, this business interest in it, if it exists, if it's already built, if it's for something I can, can use right away, great. But um, of course they also have to think about the sort of other side of the metal. Do you think people see AI as a threat within the industry? Yes and no. I th I th it's, it's again, it's with every new technology, there is this sense of, of danger and people are afraid of it to some extent and it's it's understandable because it's it's an uncertain there's an uncertainty there and you don't quite know um what is happening and things we don't don't quite understand usually make make us afraid and it's the same with ai and it's it's probably i, th I think the fear of ai is probably strong in, in the general public and that's mainly because they're not as well informed which is not their fault it's just people have other things to do than, than read up on the latest ai research and what it can actually do versus what it's um well supposedly doing according to hollywood or the news um and i think the the fear around ai is sort of in, in the industry it's, it's a bit it's a bit more even and there are, there are people who've looked into it and they've realized oh Yes, there are potential dangers, there are potential benefits. Um, it's kind of a swings and roundabout situation and we don't really have to, to be uh, massively afraid of it. Um, I, th I think that's currently the, the situation. And again, it, it depends on if, if you have a lot to do with it, if you've looked into it in detail, you're probably less afraid than um, someone who's just heard of it and thinks, oh, AI is coming for my job. And, and as of tomorrow, I will be an unemployed journalist rather than someone who sits at a desk somewhere. Yeah. And then what final couple of things to explore, um, Felix, about really about innovation. Is this a, a key area of innovation for, for news organizations or are there other things that they're that they're more interested in at the moment? How do you assess where it stands as list of priorities, I guess, for, for news organizations? Um, it's it's pretty high on the list from what I remember, and especially if you look at those sort of big industry trends reports, um, the, the digital news report um, by the Reuters Institute and Nick Newman, they sort of poll news ex executives over, I think every year at the moment, and ask them about, okay, what are the big trends? And AI is definitely, it's, it's high on the list for them. And it's one of the, the things that they are really is interested in, um, think, and, and one of the technologies they definitely want to explore. So I, I would say currently it's, it's one of the key um, topics of interest when it comes to news innovation. Where do you think, if you look forward a number of years, you know, what do you think are the big things that are going to come in between between now and say three, three four years time? Yeah, I, th I think definitely that we will see a broader rollout across organisations and not just in 
places like the US and, and UK, which are usually at the forefront, but also in, in other countries. And um, it will be more natural for many news organizations to, to treat AI as a concrete technology that you can use, that you can apply for certain tasks within in news work and, and bring in rather than this sort of futuristic technology, which usually just exists in films or the books. So Felix, you're, you're embarking on a very large project. You've got a number of years of, of, of study ahead of you. Um, there is one question I'm asking everyone who's on the, who's on the podcast. Um, what is it, if anything, uh, that keeps you up at night? Oh, God. Um, not finishing my research in time because there's so much to exploit. So that's, that's definitely one project-related thing that keeps me up at night. Um, and yeah, without kidding, I, th I think that's, that's definitely, when it comes to my work, it's, it's one of the, the key concerns because it's, it's an exciting project and um, I'm just one person uh, and there's so much to explore, so much, much people to speak to, so much things to read. It's, it, it can be quite hard to, to keep up with sort of the latest trends and, and the developments. And um, you sort of always worry as a researcher that what you're doing by the time it gets published is already outdated. And to some extent, you sort of have to, to accept that and it's, it's part of the work and um, you can't, can't do much about it in, in many ways other than just keep on working on it. But yeah, it's, it's definitely one, one concern. It's just that there's too much of those, these major shifts um, happening while I'm doing it. And then um, once I get to the stage where my PhD is finished, it will probably already be outdated, but c'est la vie. <laughs> I'm sure Felix's work will be a valuable resource in years to come as AI becomes more commonplace across the news industry. I think some really interesting things to consider there around efficiency, balance, bias and consumption. If you want to dig a bit deeper, check out the show notes where you'll find an article about how news teams can use AI, plus a couple of tutorial videos showing how it's used in Avid's Media Central Cloud UX application. There's also a link to find out more about Avid's partnership with Microsoft, including their AI engine and much more. Next time, we're going to turn our attention to how best to engage the journalistic team when making technical decisions. For many years, the delivery of new technology to the news team has been driven by the engineers, but at TV2 in Denmark, they've flipped that on its head by getting users involved every step of the way. Let's hear a clip from Morten Brandstrup, TV2's head of news technology. Who knows better how the daily work is than those who actually do it. Um, so we, who support the workflow and the toolbox in general, um, we definitely have to bring them in, in the middle of what we're discussing and, um, and listening to them, uh, letting them have a strong voice uh, and having them to help prioritize uh, the stuff about um, how we want to collaborate, how we want to, to work together in the newsroom. Morton's also very active in the European Broadcasting Union, the EBU, and he has lots of great insights to offer, so don't miss out on that episode. Remember, you can subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to get notified when the next episode is out. 
Also, please feel free to get in touch. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at craigaw1969 or you can email us. Our address is makingthemedia at avid.com. Don't forget, you can also check out any of our previous episodes as well. There's lots and lots of good stuff there. That's all for this episode. I'm off now to ask Siri and Alexa what they thought of it. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Haberman. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. I'm Craig Wilson. Join me next time for more Making the Media. Making the Media.